Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Jason Azevedo, co-founder of Advoke, Advoke and founder of MRCA, one of the US, only US-based manufacturers located in California. Also, uh, it's a private investment firm with a focus on the smaller end of the middle market, investing in established US manufacturing companies. And Jason has also featured on places like CNN. Welcome to the show and thank you for your time on the KJ Masterclass. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Okay. So Jason, let me ask you one thing, you know, uh, the made in America or revitalizing American manufacturing. You know, these are some of the slogans that a lot of political people use it. In India, we have, you know, our honorable prime minister, he used this uh, make in India long back. And we were trying to move into, you know, making in India itself for our manufacturing sector. So that's, that's okay. A political leader calls it and it's a policy decision. Then you've got your leaders down there, make America great again. And then you are calling for made in America. So are you fighting for the United States president or what? What is this? So it, it's not necessarily just, just one place over another. What's happened in the last 15 years is it's fiscally responsible to produce in the U.S. because at the end of the day, the U.S. consumes the most products. So we're... There, there's there's a shift that it's not just a slogan. It, it truly is just good business to manufacture in the United States. Okay. Okay. So if it makes business sense, when does when did it dawn on you that it makes sense to get manufacturing back to the USA, especially from China? Because earlier it was the comparative cost advantage everybody felt that let's get it manufactured somewhere else which is cheaper earlier it was outsourcing then it was outsourcing of manufacturing and now you are bringing that back to the usa so when did it dawn on you and why is it not dawn on others just only you how is it working down down there so it's a convergence of time so there was a moment in time that it made a lot of sense to move manufacturing, a lot of fiscal sense to make to move manufacturing to low wage countries. And it, if you take it back 20, 30 years ago, that's what was going on. We started seeing a lot of a lot of manufacturing work move to low wage countries. But a lot has happened in the last 20 years. Uh, it, just look at the advent of computers and the internet and and, and technology has really come in. Well, what's happened in the manufacturing sector is we have also gotten those same benefits of technology coming in. So menial tasks and labor are no longer necessarily the largest driver in the manufacturing industry. So the competitive advantage that a lot of other places had was underpaid workers. Well, all of a sudden, when you've got humans teamed up with technology and automation and equipment. Now that competitive advantage starts dissipating and dissipating very, very quickly. So 
add in the advent of companies wanting to hold significantly smaller stock to have just more just-in-time product, well, then you need to be closer to the consumer. Add in the fact that freight and shipping costs and fuel costs are through the roof. So now you need to move these products if you're going long distances. Well, if you regionalize and you pull them in tighter, it makes a lot of sense. So the, there's a huge convergence. Well, you touched on the fact that why is nobody else thinking about it? Well, people are thinking about it. They've been thinking about it for a long time. I mean, if you look, a lot of other nations are actually buying out our manufacturing facilities in the U.S. They've seen it. The problem that, that I see is we've stigmatized manufacturing. It, if we take a typical person who doesn't operate in the manufacturing or supply chain world and you tell them, oh, I'm going to go to a factory. All of a sudden, they get this Charles Dickens, dirt floors, grease throwing everywhere, people losing arms. This, that's their picture of a factory. And that's, been, that's been, been ingrained into us over the last 20, 30 years. But if you look at like the new Tesla facility, the drone footage going through there, that's not what anybody thinks of when they think of factory. There, it's these white floors and beautiful, well-lit areas. So what we did with, uh, with our companies is we realized that. It was, hey, there's this massive change happening. So we go out and buy legacy American manufacturing companies and then overlay this amazing new tech, this new, amazing new skill set. So you take these craftsmen that have been doing it forever and you, you just make them stronger. And th that, that's what our investment fund does. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Jason, when you uh, say revitalizing manufacturing in America, what does it mean? Making for America or making it for the world? Does it mean competition to China? What does it mean? Yeah, so it, it is definitely making it for the world. Uh, it's If you look at how many companies are starting to move back into producing in the U.S. and shipping globally, uh, th there's a lot to be said for that. It, it's you, the reason why we use the term revitalize is because it's not about saving anything. Some things need to change. So it's giving it new life. That's what revitalization really means is coming in, looking at this very strong infrastructure. These are the companies we buy are they're multi-generational. They're, they're very focused and that they're very skilled. We're just coming in and adding a new life, new energy. A lot of these, a lot of the owners are, they're at retirement age and they're tired. So what we're trying to do is add in that layer of energy and that, that new vision. And, and that's really where that revitalization comes from. But the companies that we, that we look at and that we buy, they're shipping internationally. It, it, there's still huge demand for American-made products throughout the world. Okay, okay. So, can you tell us about your two companies, MCRA and Advoke? If you can tell us what they do exactly for the understanding of the audience and what are you looking at doing with those as well as other companies that you may be having or are planning to use as, you know, special purpose vehicles for this whole idea of yours? And how is it working? Are you still alone is there some sort of a consortium building up how is it working 
is there uh, any support from the government side have you got do you think if you are moving on some facilities you have already moved from china what is their understanding of this whole, whole thing and what would you anticipate they would be doing to stop you from doing what you are doing Not many questions. Take them one by one. <laughs> that is a loaded uh, set. <laughs> so, I'll start with MRCA. So, MRCA uh, is a private equity fund. It is so it, it is our vehicle to take private investor dollars from accredited investors and go into market and buy these companies. You touched on a uh, kind of the consortium, the team. I've built up a very strong team. Early, early Tesla employees. I mean, before even Tesla had a factory, we've got people that have been at Toyota. We've got I, uh, me and my brothers' past of building out manufacturing companies, branding team. It, we really have a very well-rounded group that will go in and really look at how these companies go. And what MRC is focusing on is mainly manufacturing companies. First off, they're very skilled. Um, they are going to be pro they're they're profitable. We, we don't we're not going in and doing turnarounds. It's really finding good core structured legacy companies. Usually they're going to be second third generation. They the owner doesn't really have a succession plan. They're looking for a way to take care of the, their people and their employees. And we come in offering that. I mean we we even we've made a promise that the way we're going to uh, exit our private equity fund is we're actually going to do a hundred percent. Uh, ESOP, so the the American factory worker will actually own the factory that they work in. We figured that was the best way to make sure that that control stayed at the community level and couldn't be taken by a, an outside source that was going to go mess with these communities. Uh, it is very important to us that these companies are significant in the community that they're around. They employ, they provide good jobs. They they employ people. We're not looking to go. Buy ten companies, shut them all down, and put them in one location. That doesn't make sense. It, the the regionalness of the of the business nowadays is incredibly important. So that that kind of encompasses what we're doing. Ad, Advoke is a a group within the organization, but I'll give you kind of an example of the companies that we're the kinds of companies we're looking at. So we've got it. We we're currently looking at everything from a dashboard manufacturer. That makes dashboards uh, for mainly boats and industrial equipment. Uh, we we just that we're looking at furniture manufacturers. We're displays, packaging, pre pretty much you name it. It, it. We're very very wide breadth because the way we look at manufacturing is the more different components and functions that we can do, the more we can provide our end clients with a complete product. And, and really, that's what OEMs are looking for nowadays. Is How can I get as much of my product done on one or two invoices as possible? So we come in and go, hey, let, let us provide not just a, a component, but a true service and a, a true product for you. So when we ship, we can hopefully go directly to your client or directly to one of your production lines. Okay. Okay, Jason. Now, which are the sectors that you are targeting uh, at the moment? How have you started so that it starts Uh, making some uh, real impact on the ground in terms of uh, you know making your presence uh, felt definitely. Secondly, you know I'll ask the second question later. Okay. Yeah. So right now, uh, so we do we we try to balance the sectors that we're looking at. 
Uh, right now, we are very focused on industrials. We, we believe that that's a huge, huge uh, explosive, uh, explosive sector coming in the United States, uh, and it's happening right now. Largely John Deere, Caterpillar, Kubota's coming, uh, coming online, Mahindra's coming back to the U.S., so really a lot of those industrial clients, but also balancing it with things that are consumer-based and, and really a lot of automotive also where we've been looking heavily into wire harness companies because the EV space, the more – most people when they hear EV are thinking cars. Right now, boats are switching to EV. You've got most of the power equipment at your house is switching to EV. So we're really looking also into the harness sector and other sectors that are that are matching kind of what the progression of the, of the U.S. is in general. Okay, okay. Now, uh, tell me one thing: uh, Is it because uh, U.S. is more concerned about China, or is it because you want to get your local communities a part, be a, be a part of this whole? manufacturing uh, industry how is it working is uh, do you think it, it, it what is exactly the motivating factor here so th there's a lot of things uh, so let me give you kind of my backstory I, I grew up in a I grew up in a factory house my uh, my father worked graveyard for 28 29 years for a company the the plant that he worked at was very profitable and they sold or laid off the employees seven or eight times in the last six or seven years they lived there. And the reason why they did it was because that plant, the, the management and the, employee, uh, and the manufacturing employees were so at each other's throats and it was so toxic that even though they were the most profitable plant in the U.S., they, it was almost impossible to run. So I saw that from the, the household side. And so did my brother. And one of the things we realized was how impactful these manufacturing companies really are to their, to their local environment. So there's a huge chunk of that for us is that these are important. They, they, they are what builds the fabric of communities. Beyond that, every great nation that has ever stood or every great group of people that has ever stood has always been built on manufacturing. That, that, that is the reality. The, the, if you go through history, the, whatever nation is controlling manufacturing is the most prosperous. And the reason being is it provides a lot of jobs. It provides goods. It provides exports. It, it's a very core piece of, of everything. The, in addition to that, when we talk about community, it, it's much more than just our employees. It's every person or every function that our employees touch. So the way we look at it is if we can take care of our people, pay them well, really get them to go to that next that, – to really build their lives up. When they go home, they might go coach a T-ball game or they might go eat at a restaurant or they might go participate in their community somehow. Unfortunately, a lot of things have happened in the past where people go back – and we go back to that stigma that's stuck in our head of kind of these factory jobs of 30, 40 years ago where dad comes home from the factory, cracks a beer, sits in his lazy boy and watches TV till he falls asleep, wakes up in the morning, and does it again. 
if we can make the manufacturing sector strong and, and we are, and, and we're, we're watching it bloom crazy, uh, very well, that individual now goes and participates in their community and makes their world better. And that's really what the goal of a lot of this is. Yeah. So you want to transfer the ownership of all these new acquisitions to employees of these businesses, but tell me how does this, you know, the whole mindset of a, a capitalist culture, uh, the whole, how it, how it, will gel with this sort of a thinking that is is it workable does it work do you have examples where employees are the owners and then uh, companies are running very profitably yeah so for, first off it, it makes a lot of fiscal sense that this is not just pure altruism so the way that our that the esop works is we will actually go get a third part three third party valuations the employees uh, a bank will step in, buy it on behalf of the employees, and it's a, for all intents and purposes, it functions like a hundred percent profit share, uh, where the once they do it, the all the profit comes back and pays down the loan, and that's how our investors get paid out. There are significant amount of examples of companies using ESOPs. On average, those companies, I, I believe, the last figures are about fifteen to twenty percent more profitable. Their turnover rates drastically lower. Their injury rates drastically lower because the, the people are vested in the organization. The, the other part of it is, and, and like other private equity funds that are doing it, when we announced we were doing this to a couple of the larger funds that we were talking to, a couple of them raised their eyebrows at us. And they're kind of like, what are you doing? Like, There's no way you guys missed that, that, that the numbers don't work. And we're like, no, no, they work. We, 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 we believe that this is very healthy for our investors. And about four months later, two or three of the largest private equity funds in the United States announced an ESOP fund. It, the, the model works. It just, you got to change how you look at it. It goes back to that revitalizing that you can get the same result through different paths. And that's really what we're, we've developed out with the ESOP. Okay. Okay. Now talking of local communities, Jason, you said it is, uh, it is easier now to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. because now it's a lot of technology-based things. And you can use technology. There is not that cost advantage in terms of labor, cheap labor and all. So when you are using more of technology, where would you actually involve the local community as part of the manufacturing process, especially in job creation, employment generation? So th th this is another one of those fall fallacies that people often have stuck in their head. Automation takes jobs. That's not true. Automation creates jobs. So when we add in technology or automation, you, you have to remember that that work was not here without the automation. It's not like you're going into a factory and that, that you're going to just take this same factory and remove half the people and, and just put in robots. That, that's not true. It's we, we add the technology so that we can increase the amount of work that funnels through that facility. The other part of that is technology is taking menial tasks. Humans are some of the most, they are the most amazing thing ever that their ability to adapt and to critically think that's what you want to use humans for 
not picking this thing up and doing this all day long. So we are very focused on how to get humans to interact with the technology and then bring more work into the facilities to do that. So we're, we're trying to lessen the burden on the human's body, but also increase the throughput, which that is truly the perfect balance. In And giving an example of automation doesn't take jobs. Elon Musk, I, I think everybody can 100% guarantee has been the most driven if if he says he can do it guy on earth at this moment in time it he is there when they built uh their when they built their facility they decided to automate almost everything and it didn't work the their final plan was to go in and take out half of it and insert humans back into the system that is the reality this is a this is a cohort of humans and machines and or humans and tech or humans and process but you don't lose the human aspect because when you do you lose all your adaptability right right now another question related to that is the pollution manufacturing also brings pollution now uh, america and americans have lived without big amount of pollution from manufacturing for quite a long period of time. If you bring in manufacturing of products which can lead to pollution, then in the change scenario, how do you think local communities, activists, and people who are concerned about the climate change issues, how would they look at it and how are you prepared to deal with this issue? So we, we go back to another fallacy. Manufacturing does not automatically equal pollution. Bad manufacturing equals pollution. And there's a difference there. In the US, <laughs> manufacturing plants are so tightly monitored that it's, we're not talking huge issues. Here. But beyond that, most manufacturers are working as hard as they can to drop pollution levels. And a lot of these facilities now are neutral. I mean, I, it's rare I go into a very large manufacturing plant nowadays that doesn't have their entire roof on so, in solar panels, that, that doesn't have all of these safeguards to test and reclaim water and pull, pull the chemicals out. And they've got reverse osmosis systems to make sure that they can capture everything before it ever goes out the building. That is the reality nowadays. Now, if you look at countries other than the U.S., that have a lot more lax uh, environmental regulations, frankly, that the ownership does not live in the communities that they are polluting. Yeah, that, that, that's still happening, but that's not the way it is in the US, is that there are huge focuses on, uh, on making sure that it's environmentally friendly, that it's safe. In addition to that, think about the pollution required to move products into the number one consuming country in the United, uh, in the world. You got to build them somewhere, move them across that country, put them on a boat, move that boat across the world, put that into a port, put that port onto a train, put that train onto a truck and get it to wherever it's going. It, so the, the idea that it, it's going to create extra pollution, no, it's actually exactly the opposite. It drastically cuts it. Right. 
Uh, now, Jason, talking of the present slowdown, some people are calling it recession, and some people have gone to the extent of calling it something deeper than recession coming in. Now, how do you look at setting up new units at this point in time, vis-a-vis the present, you know, with the, with, the, uh, with the amount of money that you'll be putting in, in terms of sustainability of the business model, how does it work? Do you think it is the right time for that? So, yes, I, I believe it is the right time. I actually, I don't, I don't believe there is a better time in history. Uh, and it, it comes from a convergence of facts. Most of the work that American manufacturing companies are increasing on is work they didn't have. So even if they can pull 5 10% back from somewhere else, say that the market drops 20%, okay? We, stop, we consume 20% less goods. Well, we're only fighting for 5 or 10% to get back into the, uh, into the U.S. So it, there's, there's plenty, plenty there. In addition, when we go, we're buying companies. We're buying companies for a longer period of time than a single drop. Well, when I go to buy a company and the markets are pulling back a bit, hey, we're usually going to get a better rate. So it's a perfect time for what we're doing. If, when we go invest in a facility, if the markets are pulling back and we want to add in new equipment or something like that, guess what? All of that's on sale also. So if anything, this is the best time to do this because as it pulls out, as it always does, in three, four years. So say, say we are in, in some massive crash. And I, I don't want to speculate on whether or not we are. But say we are. It always corrects in about three to four years. So right as we've got these facilities retuned, ready to go, revving up, is right as the market starts to shoot again. There, I, I cannot imagine a better time. It, I, I started my first company in February of 2007. And it was the exact same thing. Every, every person's telling me, oh, horrible time it's gonna you're gonna lose everything it's ruined well all of a sudden we realize right wait all the equipment is pennies on the dollar um there's clients that are floating everywhere because their many their manufacturer went out of business it was the best time ever to do something like that and here comes 2009 2010 and we're starting to gain steam and things are growing and everyone's like oh i'm gonna get in it now i'm like you're two years too late buddy Right, right. I, I'm just trying to understand your motivation in terms of, you know, taking up such a big responsibility and a nice one at that. That's why I'm trying to just ask questions from different yeah. angles, you know, and to understand things better from my perspective and also to get an insight how these things work for the audience. Now, talking in terms of you, all you talked about Elon Musk several times and uh, about his, so he He's known for take, you know, for his mission to take humans to Mars. Uh, I understand your mission is to bring manufacturing back to uh, the USA again. What do you think are your strongest points, your strongest skills in terms of taking up this mission and you know making it uh, reach to a situation of fructification? First and foremost, I've been very fortunate to build a really strong team. Uh, the, the, the reality is in, in any organization, the, the leadership team is incredibly important. 
And I, I've been extraordinarily fortunate to build out a team that I'm extremely, extremely proud of. And they're well-rounded. It's not all, hey, we're not all, they're not even all manufacturing people, to be honest. It's, we're, we're pulling ideas from all sorts of different landscapes. Our skill over a lot of other private equity funds is we've done it. Pretty much every person in my, in my leadership level started on the ground floor of a facility and worked the, their way up. And that's a different feeling when you go into a plant and you're trying to revitalize it. When you, when you could tell somebody, hey, I, I know this or, or I've, I, I've, I've experienced something similar, it's, the, the, it's a different way to look at that. So we, we are able to connect with people better. We understand the, pl the plights of it. When I can look at somebody and look at them as if they're the, like my father, uh, when we saw him come home from work and, and you just really understood how that felt. So that's really the, the skill sets. It's just the knowledge and time and, and having done the jobs. I, I, we bought a company one time and people were amazed that the executive leadership team was in there sweeping floors and and throwing away trash and we're filthy and everyone's like well, why do you guys do that we're like because there's no better way to learn about a company than to just get in there and and really feel it and I, i'm fortunate that i've built a team that is all like that and that they're all willing to do it okay okay jason now in terms of you know uh, manufacturing and you suppose you create a lot of you know facilities and how do you look? Which are the countries that you are targeting? India has a huge population in terms of, you know, demand for so many things. So how do you look at India in that process along with other countries? Uh, so one of the things that I, I, I touch on is we are not, or I personally am not pro one place or another. I know my local communities and I know the communities that I work for. I don't wish, hey, let's go beat somebody else up. No, it's let's take care of our foundation. And, and I understand that. So I, I don't have a lot of comment on, hey, where should other groups go or how should they do it? Because I am laser focused on how do we take care of our, our local communities and how does that build the world that we want to live in and other other groups of other cultures, other countries, they're going to have a vision of how they want their community to function and where, where they want to live. So that, that, that that's really, I, I, we stay very laser focused on what we're doing and how do we increase that mission? Okay. Okay. Uh, now, uh, Jason, you are a very keen watcher of this whole space, the investment space, the manufacturing space, and also how things are moving from China to the U.S. U.S. at the present and in, in the, for the next few years, it's passing through that whole wealth transfer, the biggest wealth transfer in the American history where baby boomers, that generation is getting old and the new generation has to take over. Uh, but there are not many takers for that. And so the fear is that a huge number of businesses are not prepared and may even get closed. At this point in time, when there are so many businesses available, which could be optimized for maximum, you know, profitability or in terms of value creation, how do you look at companies looking at China 
and moving their manufacturing from there. Because while you would be moving some facilities back from China to the U.S., the Chinese capital might move into the U.S. and buy a lot of these companies which are up for grabs. How do you see this whole situation at the moment? That's basically our entire thesis is there's a lot of businesses that are frankly coming up for sale and a lot of them aren't going to sell. And one of our goals is to make sure that they don't all sell to giant conglomerates that are going to strip them from the communities. It's this is a very there's a big risk here that we're in a very interesting time. But and you hit it perfectly that the the owners are aging out and they really have no transition plan. And unfortunately, for the last 30 years, 40 years, we've told every kid in school, don't go into manufacturing. I mean, I've heard it so many times. My, my own father told, told me and my brother, do not go into manufacturing. Go, get, go do a better job or this job. And I think that that's incredibly important to touch on is there is not a lot of people coming to buy these companies. So what's going to happen is they're either going to go out of business and a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. Or they're going to get bought by conglomerates. And that is almost even scarier because you don't th – that's where you really lose the soul of, uh, of a company and of people. You really need owner, ownership and leadership to walk in that cares about the people in addition to the company. Right. Now, Jason, talking of manufacturing, you know, you are uh, a keen proponent and you know a lot about manufacturing. Now, from an Indian perspective, a lot of people are into manufacturing, but they are very small manufacturers, you know, small and medium uh, sized enterprises. And government is also keen on focusing on all this. There are startups, lot many. Now, as a person who knows manufacturing well, what would you advise uh, a lot of people who are into manufacturing and are or thinking into getting into manufacturing, but on a very small scale, what should some tips that you would want to give them in terms of what they should look at and what they should avoid, either in terms of technology, in terms of cost, in terms of pricing? How do you, uh, what would you tell them? Yeah, so... Every situation is different, but you must have a vision of where you want that business to be in one, five, 10 years. Because if I talk to a lot of people getting into manufacturing and they just want to start a good little company, well, then don't go invest in a ton of crazy technology because by the time you get to using it, it's going to be outdated. So really focus if on where are you going to be in those milestones and then make sure you do it in those milestones there is also no trade for craftsmanship so knowing what you're doing or having people on your team that know what they're doing is incredibly important and i watch people overlook this all the time where they're just like oh well no the machine's gonna do it for me no it's not it's just not the case yet so really Focus on who it is, who those first employees are. That's incredibly important. I, I will say of all of our companies, our first of our first four employees, three of them still work for us. So really keeping that culture, keeping that 
really that that focus very tight is very important it's uh, on honestly in, in in manufacturing if you're doing it right the product is secondary the people have to be first if you build the right people and you train them well and you work with them and I, i've had through my career i've learned this by also messing it up is hey we got so product focused we forgot about the culture for a little bit and it, it started showing damage so really it's about the people in the culture and the product will come okay okay uh, you have actually spelled out uh, your vision your plans uh, quite well and you have answered some of my questions which were a bit tough than i uh, that they should be but you have also answered them well in terms of costs in terms of you know uh, in terms of technology in terms of pollution uh, those are difficult ones and even on the on, on the chinese uh, capital taking up the uh, the baby boomer uh, Uh, enterprises now as but in terms of a lot of people who would be listening to you uh, you know watching you they would also have some money and want to perhaps you know join hands with you may uh, a lot of people from india are also in the us so if people who have money and who can want to join hands with you how can they do that how can they connect with you how can they be a part of your mission of making america great again by revitalizing american manufacturing so the the best way is if you go to mrca.net and you, you have to be an accredited investor but if you go there there's a bunch of information about what we're doing there's actually a way to get a direct link onto my calendar if you want to talk about anything or anybody else on our team also there's an invest now button that will take you through the process to get vetted it's only it's only a $100,000 minimum investment so it's not a huge barrier to entry for uh on the accredited side and really our goal is to have as many people participate in this in the ford process as possible because it it goes back to community this is this is really about kind of banding together and doing this as a, as a group but that website again is mrca.net so very straightforward you go there you'll you, you can see it all sorts of stuff the invest now link will take you into our our investor portal which will be your uh, primary vetting and we would love to discuss and are chinese investors welcome no on this note <laughs> sorry <laughs> my, my my regulatory team will will force me to say that very bluntly no <laughs> <laughs> on this note jason uh it's a very special uh, thank you very much for joining us on this very special edition of the KJ masterclass live thank you so much for your time thank you so much mm -hmm.